Hey friends, this is Linda, and you're listening to Calling Water. Each week on our podcast, we look at a passage of scripture and ask ourselves two very important questions. What does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, My Chosen Instrument, we're looking at the story of Saul's conversion on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and how to be used by God, we must first see things in a new light. Let's get started. I've been a children's pastor since 2007, and before that, I served in Sunday school as a volunteer for a number of years and in a number of roles, and before that, I was a kid in Sunday school. I like to tell people that I basically never left Sunday school. So as you might have guessed, I grew up in the church and grew up hearing about and reading all the Bible stories many, many times, to the point that I considered myself to be quite the little Bible expert. Yes, I was that girl in Bible study who knew all the answers, but I didn't know until later in life that it was okay to ask all the questions too. Back then, I was convinced that my interpretation of the Bible stories were the gospel truth, and anyone who said anything to the contrary was simply put, wrong. Needless to say, I had to do quite a bit of unlearning and relearning in recent years when it came to understanding the Bible. The story of Saul in Acts 9 is one of those stories I had to relearn. I distinctly remember as a freshman in college, I took a cultural anthropology course, and I forget what point the professor was trying to make, but he mentioned in passing that the apostle Paul in the Bible was also a Pharisee. And I remember 18-year-old me being indignant at this factual error. Paul was never a Pharisee, was he? And this was before we all had smartphones at our beck and call. So I went home and read up on the book of Acts. And what do you know? In Acts chapter 23, verse 6, Paul says explicitly, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. Huh. Somehow, all the stories I've heard about Paul growing up had left out that little detail. Thus began the deconstructive journey that would stay with me to this day, revealing big truths to me about the message of God in scripture, and even small things like, speaking of Paul, how his name wasn't, in fact, changed from Saul to Paul because he became a Christian. So when we look at our text today in Acts 9, we have to remember that the man who was breathing out murderous threats against followers of Jesus and asking for sanctions to capture and imprison any such people he came across was not just some ignorant bad guy. He was an upstanding, educated, religious leader who in his mind's eye was the one who was doing the right thing. He was being proactive about eliminating threats to his religious views and traditions. He was, in fact, protecting his people and his brand of faith by silencing this strange new sect of Christian converts who were deviating from the way things had always been done up to this point. Now, I am not condoning Saul's aggressive and violent persecution of the early church, but I am trying to help us understand that Saul 100% believed that his actions 
were honorable and quite possibly what he thought God wanted him to do. So en route to Damascus, where he planned to hunt down more Christians in God's name, of course, he is met with a literal blinding light and a voice that asked him this question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, this was a surprising question for Saul. At this point, he probably did not believe he was persecuting anyone. If anything, he probably thought he was taking preventative measures so that he wouldn't end up being the persecuted one. That's why he answers with a question, Who are you, Lord? To which the voice answers in verse 5, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, like I mentioned before, I grew up in the church, so I never had a radical conversion experience. I heard some interesting ones growing up, though, from people who had encountered Jesus amidst harrowing circumstances or while they were spiraling out of control and falling in with the quote-unquote wrong crowd. But imagine being Saul, thinking that you are justified in what you're doing and that everything you're doing is for God. And yet when you finally hear an audible voice from the heavens, instead of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, you hear that you've actually been the bad guy all along. So what happened to Saul that day was not just that he finally believed in Jesus, it's that he was able to take all his prior knowledge of who he believed God was and was able to reconfigure it in light of this new information. That all the Jesus followers whom he formerly persecuted had really been telling the truth that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, risen from the dead, and though no longer on the earth, was very much living among them. He was able to see things differently, even though in that precise moment, he couldn't physically see anything at all because he was temporarily blinded. And to remedy this, another person would need to see things in a different light too. And while all of this is happening to Saul, the voice of the Lord spoke to another disciple named Ananias. Now, he is instructed to go seek out this man named Saul and pray over him so that he may regain his vision. Ananias, understandably, questions this command. Saul's reputation preceded him. Ananias knew who he was, and if the rumors about him were even half true, Saul was a dangerous man to anyone who claimed to be a follower of Christ and to purposefully go to him probably sounded risky and maybe even foolish. However, the voice of Jesus responds to the doubts of Ananias in verses 15 through 16 saying, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The phrase, my chosen instrument, stuck out to me in this passage. For one, I am a self-proclaimed music enthusiast, having dabbled in learning to play a few instruments here and there. And let me tell you, despite my high level of interest, I could not tell you anything is my chosen instrument. Because that would mean that instrument is one that I have complete confidence in and feel like I've gotten to a level of achievement that I would be comfortable saying, yeah, this is my thing. 
I mean, I play some piano, but I would never presume to be able to play in a professional band or even an amateur one at that. For something to become my chosen instrument, I would have had to have years of formal training and it, it would have to be something I would need to keep practicing on the daily. And secondly, the word instrument is not just limited to the musical kind. They can be any kind of tool that is instrumental to someone. The weapon of choice for a soldier, for example. The preferred equipment for a builder. The must-have resource that one could not function without. This is the kind of thing that Jesus is commissioning Saul to be. So when he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Jesus isn't saying that he's going to torture Saul as payback for all his past evils. Even though Saul's life post-conversion is riddled with all kinds of hardship. What Jesus is saying is that even though turbulent times lie ahead, he will invest in Saul and that Saul is integral and necessary to the spreading of the gospel which we know he most definitely was. So Ananias follows through. He goes to Saul, prays for him, and immediately something like scales fall from Saul's eyes so that he could see again. And after spending some time with some of the other disciples in Damascus, verse 20 tells us, At once he, he meaning Saul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So as we think about what this passage might call us to do now, let's move away from the usual takeaways, you know, like, oh, if someone like Saul could be changed, anyone can. So let's make sure we share the story of Jesus with everyone because no one is beyond the grace of God. It's not a bad message, but when we think about it that way, we isolate this story from ourselves. We make this about us being like the Ananias person in this story and being open-minded and forgiving toward the souls of this world because we would never want to admit that we are in any way like Saul, the former Pharisee who delighted in persecuting second century Christians. But rather, even if it is uncomfortable, I want us to sit with this notion about how often we very much are Saul. Like Saul, we dogmatically stick to our traditions and our truths and look for ways to impose them on others without being curious about their experience. Like Saul, we so often feel like we're absolutely doing the right thing, for God no less, and are blinded to the fact that our actions are in fact hurting others. Like Saul, we feel like we're the ones being persecuted and look for ways to double down on our ideals and beliefs instead of trying to understand why we're being so defensive in the first place. Right now, the church is so divided because everything has become so politically charged. People have bought into the myth that if you support a specific issue or civil right, then it makes you more or less godly. And whenever someone challenges our worldview, we say they are threatening Christianity and get it in our heads that we are being persecuted for our beliefs. But like Saul, we are often the ones doing the persecuting. 
Saul, even as he chased those early Christians and threw them in jail, loved God. He did all these things in God's name, but he was blinded to the new thing that God was doing through Jesus until the moment he was physically blinded on that road to Damascus. We don't need a dramatic conversion experience to know that God is always doing a new thing through Jesus. The Bible, though written thousands of years ago, is a living entity that informs our faith and spiritual walk today. That means while the word of God doesn't change, the implications do. The applications do. And that's a good thing because as we learn and grow, our faith should also mature and evolve along with us. As we expand our knowledge of God, our faith and practice should be elastic enough to accommodate the new ways God is speaking to us. At the beginning of the story in Acts 9, Saul was dead set on how he perceived Christ and his followers. And then even before we get to the end of the chapter, his life-changing encounter with Christ himself reveals to him that he had in fact been in the wrong. He regains his sight and gains insight into how he is supposed to love and care for others the way God really wants him to, and not just the way he assumed God wanted him to. He is able to move forward and join the ranks of the disciples with whom he had clear theological and philosophical differences in the past, with those he considered his enemies and who weren't super fond of him either. So my prayer for us today is that we may all open our eyes to the new thing God is constantly doing. Instead of sitting around moping that things aren't what they used to be, Let's pay attention to the ways God invites us to grow and evolve. And if you're like me, maybe it's unlearning harmful theology, or maybe it's deconstructing the ideals we've grown up with and questioning what purpose they actually serve. Or perhaps it's just listening and amplifying the voices of those you've never bothered to listen to before. Whatever you feel called to do, I encourage you, do it. And remember that, yeah, if someone like Saul could be changed, anyone can. And if anyone can be changed, it's you and me. And Jesus is waiting to shine that metaphorical light on us and call us his chosen instrument to advance the message he came to this earth to die for. Let's pray. God, how it must break your heart to look down upon your people and see only disunity and brokenness. And yet we are often woefully ignorant of the fact that our views and judgment of others does nothing to make us whole again. Even though we might not want to hear it, speak to us and remind us that so many times you are the one whom we are persecuting when we narrow-mindedly hold on to only what we're familiar with. Open our eyes to the new things you are doing each day so that each of us may be your chosen instrument to reflect the light of your love and be beacons to the truth of the loving God you are. Thank you that even we can be instrumental to your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.